0: Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Okay, good morning everyone. Thank you. Uh, I want to ask you, if you will, to open your Bible to John chapter 21, Uh, In just a couple of minutes, we're going to read a a fairly lengthy passage of this, the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And you may know that John often refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, He was a man who, through all of his writings, there are several letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, this is a man who never quite got over the fact, "He, he loves me, he loves me. And that comes through virtually everything that he writes and he says. Now, the episode that we're going to read in a few minutes, it will start in verse 7, but before we get there, I want to set the stage and tell you a little bit of the story of, of where we're going to pick everything up because it just, yeah. And this passage of Scripture has been coming alive to me, have you ever had that where a Bible passage keeps speaking to you again and again and, and, and you think, oh, oh, that's so… and then it, something new, something fresh comes alive. Would that be a no or is that a Kiwi… yeah, anyway. Uh, so I, you know, I want to move on to another passage in a way. I feel as though God keeps speaking to me, and since the primary pattern in the kingdom, the way in which God has elected almost, as it were, to limit Himself to getting the Word out, the pattern that that God chose as a way of making affirmation to all of us together, He has chosen to do the bulk of what He wants to accomplish on the earth— not through sovereign acts where he just does stuff, but through the hands, through the lips, through the feet of men and women like ourselves. And so when he wants to speak to this person over here, most of the time, do you understand this? Most of the time he speaks to someone over here who doesn't even really know why they're inclined or prompted to speak about this, but what they have heard from the Lord, the lessons that they have learned, exactly the same way that Jesus kept telling everybody, hey, 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 this teaching is not mine. I didn't come up with this on my own. These words are not of myself. I simply listen to what the Father says, and whatever he says, I repeat precisely that same pattern as Christ-like people, Christians, we get to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we simply pass along to others what we've been hearing. So that's kind of the backdrop for I have no idea why I'm sharing these words with you, but it sounded a lot nicer the way that I just framed it there, didn't it? Okay. So, what has happened prior to this is you would well know Jesus has been crucified, he's risen from the dead, and on two previous occasions has manifested himself as the now risen and alive Savior into the lives of these disciples. So, to me, I mean, that. That pretty much says everything. I mean, I don't know how many times I would say, well, Jesus, could you show up again? Because if you were dead and now you're raised from the dead, I believe. Hallelujah. Twice the resurrected Christ has manifested himself. But the catch is that these disciples that have been with Jesus for these last three and a half or so years, they were used to hearing his voice every day. They were used to waking up in the morning, and they knew that foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't keep coming back to the same dwelling. They had no idea where we're going to go today, but they were learning this lesson of just following, just following, just following, and waiting to hear what he would say to them next. So you can appreciate a little bit the the the, the kind of emptiness, the... Hmm. Instead of having Christ there every single day for them, speaking to them, now he is, as it were, gone. He's shown up twice, so they know he's still around, but he's not around every single day, every single minute. And I think that reflects quite a bit on all of us, doesn't it? that we have had encounters with the Lord. Part of the reason that we give up a Sunday morning is because the Lord has spoken to us, and we're kind of hoping that something of, of like will happen, that I'll see him again. That... But we live a lot of our life, as it were, in between the encounters with the resurrected Lord. And what I love about reading the Bible is that I can see myself in it. And so Peter, to me, is like, yeah, yeah, I get it, Peter. He has just said to a group of his friends, after seeing Christ twice, he said, I don't know what to do. Hmm, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to go fishing. Now, fishing was for him kind of going back to things that he had, you know, done before, whatever. Uh, Not a bad thing. But he doesn't know what to do in between these encounters with the Lord. And interestingly, his friends all say, oh, us too. See, nobody has an idea what to do. So anybody who says, I have an idea, I'm going to go do this, instantly a lot of people want to follow along because they don't have any idea what to do. So they're out in this boat. They've been fishing all night long. They catch absolutely nothing, and Peter is, well, I can't prove this to you from Scripture, but you can't disprove it either, so (laughs) I think Peter is still a little grieved because he denied Christ three times. And even though uh, Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me, Peter was like, uh oh no way at all. I don't care what anybody else does. I'm not ever going to deny. But he did. And in the two previous encounters with Christ, he hadn't had an opportunity, this is what I believe, to say to Jesus privately, ah, you know... I'm really sorry, really, really, really sorry. I hope we can move on from here, Lord, because I keep thinking about how I have failed you. And I believe that's why the Bible tells us that Peter, was his head was kind of down. They were fishing. He was discouraged from not catching anything, but his eyes were not on the horizon of new possibilities. His eyes are kind of down. They catch no fish, and the morning now dawns And some of the disciples look through the mist or something off in the lake shore, and they hear this person say, Hey, have you caught anything? Now, for fishermen, you understand this. If you have, it's like, doesn't anybody want to ask me if I've caught something? But if I haven't caught anything, I don't really want to shout across the lake, No! Have you caught anything? No. And so Jesus says, well, you know, lay your net on the other side. And sure enough, they drop their net, haul in a bunch of fish. And then one of the disciples is like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh! I've seen this before. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And Peter, whose head has been down, he hears the word that it's the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat and starts swimming. Maybe he was hoping he would walk on water again. Didn't really work. Splash, he goes in. Swims like all the way to the, to, the, to, the, to the shore. And the guys in the boat weren't that far behind him. So, Pete, you really don't have to get wet to do this. But there is an earnestness in Peter. I think he's thinking, i got to get to the Lord. I just want a chance to say, I am so Sorry. And so he gets to the shore, breathing a little hard from all the swimming. The guys have been rowing. They get to the shore, and everybody's a little, (laughs) and they see a barbecue. And on the barbie is already fish. (laughs) And Jesus says the most beautiful thing. Yeah, bring some of your fish. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So I bring you to John chapter 21. Yeah. And, uh, I well, I told you part of this story. I think we'll still pick it up in verse 7. So that disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he had been stripped down for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far behind, uh, not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, yeah, bring some of your fish, which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up. And drew the net to land full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, when I read the Gospels, I'm looking for the details. And if you just have sort of a generic Sunday school notion about uh, these stories, you miss a lot of the life. And I ask myself, what's with 153 fish? It's not like a holy number or something. 153 fish. Prior to this, it's just a net full of fish, but now it's 153. And I believe that the reason we know the number of fish is that Peter, who got there to the shore and wanted to tell Jesus, I, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me who is looking like you and I are often looking for a way to make it up to God. I mean, okay, yeah, right, I totally, totally, totally blew it. Thank you that you've forgiven me, but I'd still like to do something for you to kind of get rid of that. And when he heard, go ahead and bring your fish, Peter, there's already fish. But I think he went back to the net. And he's saying to himself, oh, Lord, if, if, if you want fish, I'll get you fish. I'll get you fish. And I think he's counting these fish. Here's 146 and 147 and 152 and 153. And if you want more fish, I mean, what would he stack them up on the barbecue? Like if you want more fish, I'll get you more fish. Because I want to do what you want me to do. I want to say yes to you because I've said no to you. I want to find a way around my past that enables me to move forward. A hundred and fifty-three fish. Now the story continues. So Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. I love this. Oh, I like breakfast, but that's just so normal. The Lord's not, woo, you know. He just says, yeah, come and get a bite to eat. Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And the fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So nobody, this is how I read it, nobody is saying a thing. Now picture this here's the resurrected Christ, and the disciples are gathered around. Who's going to be the first? Yeah, great weather we're having lately, huh? I mean, they're, they're just they're eating this. Really, really quiet. And now Jesus will turn to Peter. And let's read what he says to him. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, Meaning, do you love me more than these fish? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said back to him, Tend my lambs. And Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And a third time, remember, he had denied Christ three times. And now in the mercy of the Lord, he is posing the question three times, Simon, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know, you know everything. You know that I love you. Don't you? See that's what got him. He was wanting somehow to make up for the to, for what he had done wrong. He was wanting to convince God that or convince Christ that he had changed and he isn't going to go and do anything that he did wrong from before. And he's deeply hoping that this mistake that he has made did not sever the relationship completely. And so when he gets asked, do you love me, he's really eager to say, yes, 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 of course I do. Because he's focusing on the do you love me. And Jesus is trying to focus on something that I I, I will have a little difficulty knowing how to put it into words. So please bear with me. You see, many people say, wow, he was asked three times. Times about all this. It's, it's, it almost seems a little bit cruel because if Jesus is holding up a standard and saying, do you love me as though he himself doesn't know, then to have to be asked three times and for me to ante up with an answer three times, hmm, but I don't believe at all that Christ was questioning whether or not uh, Peter loved him. Jesus was the one who had told Peter, you are going to betray me. You are going to deny me. So it wasn't like Jesus was, wow, I thought this was a guy I could trust. And look what he's done. He's flopped on me. Jesus knew all along. And let's not forget what Jesus said to Peter when he was warning him, You're going to betray me. But he says, It's okay. I have prayed for you. And though you are going to get sifted, though you are going to get just, just strained and, and have virtually everything of your life up for question again, I've prayed for you that you will not fail. And when you ultimately get turned around, when you come back from when you recognize the recovery, the restoration, how I have preserved you, once you get turned back around, do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, use your life to train, to shepherd, to care for, to teach others. See, Christ is not questioning whether or not Peter loves him. But Christ is trying to give Peter proof against the inevitable failures, the mistakes that will come, to know not only, yes, I am am forgiven, but what do I do in between these glorious momentary encounters with Christ? What do I do in between the second and the third uh, visitation of the Lord? What do you and I do in between those glorious, oh my goodness, God did something in my life moments, and a year and a half later maybe, until there's another one of those breakthroughs, and the longer you walk with the Lord, sometimes the longer those stretch out. They're supposed to get closer together, but that's a whole nother sermon. In between the personal encounter with the risen Christ, do we just go fishing? And I don't know how your life in God is, but my life is mostly in between those great encounters. And I don't believe that Jesus was saying to Peter, you better prove that you love me. I believe Jesus was trying to give Peter a focus that if he kept remembering right, he doesn't need fish. He, he made the fish, for crying out loud. He puts them on the barbecue. He doesn't need fish. And could I suggest to you a, an application, one that I'm trying to live with right now? Jesus doesn't really need any of the things, any of the things that you and I come up with in between these glorious encounters. We have these great ideas of we're going to do this, we're going to do that, or maybe just normal ideas, I'm going to live my life. Jesus does not need a portion of the fish that he even gave us the ability to catch. On our own, we've got nothing. But Jesus doesn't want to give you and me abilities. I hope I say this well. He doesn't want to give us abilities so that we can live this good life and then offer back to Christ a few of the things that we have managed to do. Do you know the Bible says that it's God who is the one who gives you and me the ability to even make wealth? So he's not like super impressed When you and I decide, well, okay, I am going to tithe, I am going to give you a little bit of the money that you have given to me, he doesn't really need it. But here's the one thing, if I could put it this way, that Christ can't do. He can put fish on the Barbie. He can put fish in your net, what he cannot do is shepherd people. He has stepped away and now he relies on people like you and me to tend the lambs. This is why he said, I want you to influence others i want you to disciple others i want you to use your life not for various pursuits i mean everybody's got to work and do something so by all means catch fish but that is not the purpose that you and i have been called to there is only one one thing that jesus in a sense, wants you and me to do and that one thing that will give your life purpose and a, 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 uh, a kind of a security. I don't mean bad things don't happen, but, but uh, a directional purpose that is proof against the storms of life, proof against even my own inadequacies and my failures. And that one thing, that ultimately secures and anchors my relationship with God, that takes away the question mark that is in my mind. Do I love him? The one thing is that I will take my life and invest it in other people. And that calling... I don't have to be spectacular, I don't have to be important, I don't have to be anything special at all, because fortunately the world is filled with other people just like me, who aren't special, who aren't spectacular, and I relate very well to normal everyday – well, my wife says I'm not normal, but you understand. (laughs) God doesn't want these superstars. He just wants everyday daughters and sons who who read the scriptures and share with somebody else a lesson that God has worked in their life. And if I'm not able to process my denying of Christ, my failure with my fellow disciples, if I can't teach them the trap that got me into the fix that I was in, If I am not a discipler of others, I believe, friends, that there is a a perpetual insecurity in my soul and that there is something missing from what God wanted to have be there that cannot be filled by all the great ventures and great ideas to do any other kind of even spiritual activity if it is not me discipling and touching and speaking to another person or other group of people. My believing life is, is dwarfed and dumbed down to far, far less than it was ever meant to be. But I must warn you, the passage does not end there. And Jesus is now going to say something to his friend that, that I think if you don't have it in the right context can be scary. And so let's read what Jesus says to Peter after he has asked three times, Do you love me? And Jesus is saying three times, yes, I know you do, so can I tell you the one way that I want you to express your love for me is by investing yourself in other people. And so we come to verses 18 and 19 of John 21. Truly I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will, uh, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. I don't think Jesus meant you know, follow me as I now go back into heaven. That day will come later. Peter could not follow Jesus every single day. So what Jesus had to mean was follow me, i.e., follow my example. And as surely as I have walked with you and invested myself in you over these several years, now I want you to do exactly that same thing. He was not calling us to these isolated a solitary kind of Christian life, yes, Lord, I follow you. Because when we follow Christ, we always are following him into involvement in the lives of people. That's what he does. That's his day job. He is with people. He is speaking to them like he's speaking to us. He's framing my thoughts. He's alerting me to dangers. He's pointing out stuff that he wants to work on. And if Christ is speaking these things and doing these things so much in my life and in your life, you catch on pretty quickly, oh, that's the thing that he does. And I want to join him in that process of speaking into lovingly the lives of other people based on the Word of God. But it's that in-between verse that can be a little bit unnerving. He's basically saying, listen, when you were just a little guy, you decided whatever you want to wear, whatever clothes you wanted, you you dressed yourself, you were a self-directed person. But I want to alert you, Peter, what it means. When you become, I guess our language would be, when you mature in your relationship with me, when you become a, quote, quote, more mature believer, when you grow in me, I want you to know what happens. And that is that your freedom to choose your own future, your right to decide, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. The ideas, Peter, that you come up with, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to go fishing. That freedom to do kind of whatever you want diminishes radically as you become more and more of a follower of the Lord. And ultimately, our lives are no longer in our own hands. Our lives and our destiny are ultimately figured toward the way in which God will use us to most glorify himself. Now, we do know from tradition that Peter, uh, as I understand it, of course, was not there. I have gray, but I I, I wasn't there. The... the, uh, The tradition was that he was crucified, but he just felt, oh, no, 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 I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that my Savior died, so he insisted on being crucified, being hung upside down because he wasn't worthy. I don't think Jesus just was telling him, get ready because you're really going to be miserable and you're going to die. I think he was saying, as surely as my life has a greater purpose, and just like I was in the garden and I cried out, Lord, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And a a woman, a man of God, who was saying, Lord, as we were singing, "My, my, my heart is yours, all of it. You can expect to hear from him and to be led by him into things that you would not ever have thought of and not always things that you want to do. Now, if I just use my life, your pastors could, I'm sure, attest to this about their own life. If you've walked with the Lord a long time, you can say it's, it's not that I've ended up doing really hard or terrible things. I've hated my whole life, but I'm a Christian, so it's okay. No, no. It's that I never in my wildest imaginings would have thought of myself speaking to a dear group of people in Hamilton, New Zealand. It's, was it wasn't, you know, when I was rededicating my life to Christ at 17 years old, uh, eight years ago, I, I, I just was checking if you were listening. Okay, apparently so. <laughs> I thought, oh, oh, I know what I'd like to do. I'd like, to... and I look back over now these 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 many many years, and recognize none of the things that have been so profoundly satisfying. None of the things that to whatever extent have made a difference in the lives of other people, none of them were things that I could have envisioned, just as Peter could never have seen what God had in store for him, and so all he knew to say was, I'm going fishing. So what I want to offer to you this morning is, is not a statement that says, yeah, if you're a fisherman, you should give it all up and go to Bible college and become a pastor. I'm not saying if you have a day job that you're not really following Christ. I'm not saying any of that nonsense. What I am saying is that if the sum total of what you are doing, if they are your ideas, if they're just, oh yeah, I've always wanted to be something or other, I'm telling you, it's not the fulfilling, amazing breakthrough life that God wants to do with you. I mean, if you're over seven years of age, you already know this that life doesn't turn out the way you thought it, right? I mean, you. Haven't you had all these great plans? I mean, how many of them have actually happened? None. Life has so many twists and turns, it isn't going to be the way that you want it to be anyway. So I want to be somebody who places my life in the hands of the Lord. And it's almost a, almost a kind of a second experience in God. It's one thing, you come to Christ, thank you, Lord, Hallelujah. But I was thinking back to when I was 17 and I was at the university and had a true encounter with the Lord that just spun my life in the most amazing way. And all that I kept saying to him, all I knew to say is, Lord, not my will but yours be done. Do with me whatever you want. But somewhere I heard an echo of the assignment that do with me whatever you want, O Lord, will always involve looking for people that need to be tended, looking for sheep that need to be fed, not thinking I've got everything you need, but I got a little extra, I'm not really sure what sheep eat, and that's a terrible admission here in New Zealand, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's grass. <laughs> See, I'm proof positive you don't have to know much of anything to be able to share with people the life of, uh, of God. <clears throat> Well, I can at least let you chew on my grass. Right. Thinking of others and having eyes that are opportunistically focused. Who needs tending? Who needs feeding? Who needs caring for. And if we look back historically, I think one of, the, one of the weaknesses of the wonderful charismatic renewal that was very life-giving to so many of us, it, it, much of it became me, 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 me. And not so much about you, 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 you. I want to have eyes that look for people that need feeding or tending. And I want to place myself freshly in the hands of the one who's going to take me places I could never have imagined. And somehow he will use my life and my death to bring glory to him. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.